Good to go now. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, good morning, New Life Church. How is everybody? Good. It's good to see you. Good to be back with you today. Um, as most of you know, we've been, uh, we were out of town a couple of weeks on a mission trip. We're going to have uh, updates on that uh, coming up uh, at Heart for the House weekend and sharing um, just great things uh, that happened uh, in, in regards to that uh, ministry time. And, uh, and everything. So, looking forward to doing that. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 today. It's one of the letters of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Rome. So, he wrote it to people who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, here in a little bit, we'll be coming together as a church body and church family, brothers and sisters in Christ to... Uh, the communion table here shortly. And um, today uh, marks uh, my number 300 Sunday morning sermon uh, since I became pastor almost eight years ago. Yeah, 300. As best as I can remember, uh, keep track of 300. It might be uh, plus or minus one or two, but um, uh, uh, anyway, 300. That's pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm excited because, um, I'm passionate because of what the Lord has put on my heart to share with us today. As you've been noticing, the last uh, couple of weeks, um, I've been wearing the same t-shirt uh, to church on Sundays. I don't know, some of you probably just don't give a care, uh, uh, but I do. I kind of like to remember what I wore the week before. Uh, that's just me. But anyway, it has been washed and cleaned, and so it doesn't have the armpit stains or or any of that kind of stuff in it, so at least not yet. Uh, it's still early this morning. Uh, but, um, but anyway, uh, I, these are shirts that, uh, that, we, uh, that we ordered back uh, late summer, and they just came out a couple of weeks ago. A lot of you have already gotten yours. Uh, there'll be more opportunities for you to, those of you that have not gotten yours, uh, that you can get it, uh, you, can, you can see uh, Pastor Lindsay, and you can get your name down and get, get a shirt ordered for you. Uh, to have, to wear around the community or wherever, uh, or wear to church every week like I do. And so, um, so anyway, but I, I, I'm wearing this shirt on purpose because I'm making a statement because I, I, I do, I love New Life Church. I love our church. I love you. I don't just love the idea of our church. I love the people of our church. And um, on our, if you go on our church website, uh, newlifechurchofjackson.org, and you go under Who Are We?, uh, that page, it, it begins to describe some things about us and who we are as a congregation, who we are as, as members of one another here at New Life Church. And this is one of the opening things it says. It says, Welcome to New Life Church, a Holy Spirit-filled, non-denominational church. We are a well-blended church family who are racially diverse and multi-generational. Basically, we all come from different backgrounds and ages, and however, our main aim in life is what we have in common, and that is being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Coming from different backgrounds, different races, different ages, different cultures, and different past. But the thing that brings us together and makes us one is Jesus. You know, He has the way. Only He can really do that. Only He's the one who can change a heart. He's the only one who can change a mind. He's the only one who can change issues in our lives, and that's Jesus Christ. And when we put our hope, our faith, and we let Him in, and we let Him work, and we let Him move in us, He just has a way about Him that makes things better. And so I just encourage you, if you have not gotten to that place yet in life and found that, there, that Jesus is everything, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is your all in all, as the song we were singing earlier, I surrender all, Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe, then I encourage you today that may you find peace in that promise, in that fact, in that truth, in that reality, that no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you are facing, no matter what you have, where you have come from, that life really does change when Jesus is in it. It really does change. And, and so uh, you continue down on that, on, our, on that We Are page on our website, and it starts to list six core values that we have on, that, on our website about our church. The first one being we are kingdom-minded. 
I'm not going through all of these. I just want to bring out that one alone. Kingdom-minded is, 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 is basically having the mindset and the mentality, the perspective and the attitude that Jesus has about living and about life that's contrary, that's different from the lifestyle and the attitude and the mindset of this world. So that's what we're going to get into today as we, as we get into Romans 12. And then in a little bit, we're going, to, we're going to switch gears. And actually, it's really just transitioning and how all this ties into bringing us to the table uh, together today. So let's look at it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to saved people, all right? People who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters... I like that. I get right off the top here. He's letting us know. This is halfway almost to the... This is the two-thirds through part of the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, and he's still making sure that the, the readers, the hearers, understand that, hey, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to the church. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I urge you, other translations might say. I beg you. To give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship Him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Be different. But let God transform you into a new person. The word transform in the Greek there is the word metamorpho, which where we get our English word metamorphosis. And that means to completely change the life form. Completely change the life form. Like you would see a caterpillar eventually becoming the butterfly. It's the same in itself, but the shape and the identity of it all completely changes. Caterpillar to a butterfly, and that's what Jesus does to us. He says it, but let God metamorpho you, let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Everyone say God's will. Come on, everybody join with me today. God's will. You will know, learn to know God's will, which is good. That's good to know. Which is pleasing. That's nice. And it's perfect. God's will for all of us. It's good. It's good. It's pleasing, satisfying, fulfilling. And it's perfect. Let's pray. God, we come before you today with humble hearts right now, approaching your word the way you see us and the way you see life and the way you see situations. And God, we're guilty at times not seeing the way you see things, not having the right heart the way you would have it or having the right frame of mind the way you would have it. But we have this opportunity today to, to glean from your word and to allow what you have to say to truly sink in and settle in us and begin to change the way we think so therefore we can... It'll change the way we live. So now I pray that you would speak to us now, Holy Spirit. You have something for all of us right now. So I pray right now our ears be open, our hearts be attentive, our lives be willing to embrace what you have to say. Not what opinion has to say, but what you have to say. For what you have to say trumps anything else. What you have to say overrides anything else. What you have to say matters more. So I pray now we would hear what you have to say and help me, to be the one, help me to say it the way you want me to say it, and help us to all receive it, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say amen. 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 So Paul says, reminding you halfway through this letter, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to the church, brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And he says, I beg you, I plead you, hey, no, you need to give your lives, give your bodies to the Lord. It's Paul's way of saying what Jesus said in Matthew 22, where Jesus said, hey, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus elaborates and he says, hey, these are the two greatest commandments right here. All the other law and all the other prophets and all the other things about, about living and the commandments hinge and hang on these two things. If we can get this down and we can settle this in our heart and we can aim our life in this direction to love the Lord our God with everything, with our life. That's Paul's way of saying the same thing. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to the, to the Lord as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of service and it is acceptable and it's pleasing to Him. In other words, Paul's saying, live your life to worship Jesus. In everything you do, in everything we say, in every action, in every behavior. Now, I know we're, we're, we're not perfect in that. God knows that. That's why we have to be reminded that there's love and mercy, grace, forgiveness in Jesus Christ on this journey that we, are, that we travel together. But, you know, the more we give ourselves to God, the more He changes us. You know that? The more we give ourselves to Him, the more He begins to change us. But the more we hold on to ourselves, the less we get changed. Now, going through the change process at different times is not always fun or enjoyable or easy, right? No, not everybody just really loves change, likes change, but a little change will do you good. I once heard, right? And so Paul's leading up to something here, and he says, hey, basically... He says, when he says, hey, don't, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. In other words, a reminder is this. You live in this world, but you're not to be like this world. We live here, obviously. Absolutely, we live here. Over 7 billion people live here. But in God's kingdom, in his realm of authority in our life, in a believer's life, in a Christian's life, he says, you live here, but don't be like where you live. Be different. How do you become different? Well, you let God transform your life. How do you let God transform your life? Paul goes on, he says, by the change in the way you think. Why? Because the way we think about things affects how we live our life. What you and I think will affect the, way we, the outcome, will affect our steps, will affect where we go, will affect what we do. So he says, you let God transform you into a new person. It's not just change a little bit here, a little bit there, but God has this way, this power, this greatness about him to change everything about us, to become more like him, and less like the world, but more like Christ by letting Him work in us. By the more we give to Him, the more we give ourselves to Him, the more we let our egos die, the more we let our pride die, the more we let our will die and pick up His, the more He will change us. He will transform us. He will make us think differently according to the, to the Word of God. You want situations to change? We have to change the way we think. And then, therefore, God, when, we, when He changes the way we think, it'll change the way we approach life, the way we handle situations, the way we handle people, the way we handle issues, right? The way we handle the tough times, the way we handle whatever. Change the way we think. So God transforms us by the way we think, and then it says His will for our life is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. That's awesome. You need to let that sink in. God's will for you is good. God's will for you is pleasing. God's will for you is perfect. You want to find out what God's will is for you, the good part, the pleasing part, the satisfying part, the perfect part? Let God begin to change you. The flip side of that is we won't know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will if we don't allow God to change us. But you want to discover God's will? You want to know why am I here? What does he have for me? What does he want me to do? What's his, what's his will for my life? Then let him begin to change you. Let him constantly work on you. My little four-year-old likes to sing a song called He's Still Working on Me. I'm like, yes, he is, sweetheart. He's got a long ways to go with you. It just reminds me, but he sure has a whole lot more going on with me too. Amen? Sometimes, often, the older we get, the less we're willing to change, right? I know that's not true for everybody. Just true for maybe one or two. But God's will for us in our lives is, is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. We need to understand that what God wants to do, what He wants to do in our, in our world, what He wants to do in our, in our country, what He wants to do in His people right here in our own lives, that what He wants to do in your world is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. 
And then Paul goes on this, he goes through this, the rest of this chapter, chapter 12, and he begins to lay out these things that show what God's will is. I'm not going to go through, uh, read every, every verse through this, but we're, we're gonna, I'm going to quickly go through this chapter and just make some statements. But God's will for us, he says in verse 3, is that we don't think that we are better than others. These are good things to remember, good things to live by. He says if God's will is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect, then that means he says, look, then don't think you're better than others. Right? You get a little success, you get a little power, you get a little prestige, you get a little this, you get a little that, and suddenly, what are you? Right? I was been, I've been reading a lot about the kings in, uh, in the Old Testament through, through Second Chronicles, and a lot of the things that it... A lot of those kings have in common was that the older they got, the more powerful they become, but also the more prideful they became. And therefore, they did not honor the Lord with the way they lived, with the way they did things, with the way they ruled, with the way they treated people. He says, don't think you're better than others. And he says this, verses 4 and 5, he says, hey, recognize you belong to something bigger than yourself. He starts talking about the church. He says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function... So it is with Christ's body. We're many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Said so part of God's will is knowing that you belong to something bigger than yourself. You don't belong just to you. That's why there should never be solo Christians in the church. We belong to each other. There's other parts of the New Testament that elaborate more and more on what that talks about. But recognize, as a Christian, Paul's speaking to us, and he's saying, look, part of God's will, you belong to something bigger than you. Then he goes on to elaborate verses 6, 7, and 8. He lays out these seven motivational gifts, what, you're, what you were born with, and these gifts are the things that motivate you. They're, some are going to be stronger than others. And he says, look, Whatever gift is strong in you that motivates you, then you need to use it to the glory of God to help other people. You know, one of the ways we give ourselves to God is when we give ourselves to others. One of the ways we give ourselves to God is when we give ourselves to others to use the gifts that God has put within us to be a blessing and to help other people. That's part of the reason the gifts are in us. That's why you were motivated in certain ways to, to give or to serve or to lead or to give mercy or whatever that gift is, it's there because God wants to use you to help other people. And that's part of the way we give our bodies to God. Verse, verse 1 and 2, give your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. How? Well, you surrender your life to Him, and you let Him then take the gifts He's put in you to be of service to other people, to help other people. Therefore, you're giving yourself to the Lord. Okay? But then he goes on. He goes on down to verse... Verse 9 and 10, he says this. He says, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. The words love there is agape, unconditional love, the highest, purest form of love that there is. And the only way to ever have that kind of love flowing through our veins and from our heart is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can make us love that kind of way. He's the only one that can help us love in that kind of power, that kind of ability is Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. None of us can. We can, can't love agape way without the agape love in us, and that is Christ Jesus. And he says, but agape love one another with genuine affection, or other translations might say brotherly love. That's the word, for genuine affection or brotherly love. The Greek word there is Philadelphia. I think that's a city, right? City of brotherly love. That's the kind of love you have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Genuine affection, just good-hearted love, commitment to one another. 
just because you belong. I remember over 25 years ago when I first gave my life to Christ and got saved, I remember just this, this uh, overwhelming flood of love that entered my heart. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't dislike anybody. I couldn't, I couldn't think badly of somebody. It's just like this love prevented me. As Paul, another word, another other area of Scripture says, the love of Christ compels me. It's like I just could not help but love people. I couldn't help but love everybody. People I didn't even know, strangers. It's like, I just love you, man. I don't even know you, dude. I love you. What's wrong with you? Are you goofy? No, I just, this Jesus' love is real. It's powerful. It's overcoming. It's intoxicating. It's life-changing. I just loved everybody. I, and in fact, I got so convicted one day I was at school, and I tried to get into a fight with somebody, Jeremy. And I ain't a fighter. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> but you know you have the peer pressure, and they're agging you on, and you're like, you can't let that dude do that to you, man. You can't show him up like that. So I tried to fight this dude in school. I knew I'd get ISS and suspended. I pushed him. He pushed me back. That was the end of it. <laughs> Neither one of us could fight each other. I don't know what his conviction was, but mine was, man, Jesus just ain't going to let me do this thing. And I remember going to my youth group prayer that afternoon. I told my youth pastor, Pastor Rick, I got in a fight today. Well, not really, but kind of. I really wanted to, but I couldn't. Something wouldn't let me. And he's like, what happened? I told him, he's like, man, it's the love of Christ keeping you from being stupid, man. I felt bad. I felt awful. I can't remember if I went and apologized to the guy the next day or not. I don't, I don't really remember. I just know it made me feel bad because I tried to go against God's love. And when you go against God's love, it makes you feel rotten. Yeah. Right? Makes you feel rotten. But that's the power of God's love in our life. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's like, you're a Christian. You're born again. You're a brother and sister in Christ. You need to love each other. Don't just pretend it but really do it, right? Really do it. Really love each other as the church. Jesus told his disciples, he said, this world will know you are my disciples by the love you have for each other. Now, I get it. We're not, we're not perfect at this thing. I know the church at large over the centuries has made a lot of mistakes, and right now we have one of the greatest opportunities to be real love to our world real love to our world. When things are happening that aren't right, situations that are going on in our, in our country that just don't make sense, we, you and I as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the opportunity to make a difference. And it's not always about being the loudest one as much as it is about being the brightest one. Love shines. Love stamps out darkness. Love defeats hate. Love actually will make, where things don't make sense, where it's chaotic and confusing, love will actually just disintegrate that whole thing. Because love doesn't make sense. Real agape love doesn't make sense to the world. Because the world's system and the custom and the behavior of the world is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But God's love is, I know you don't like me, I know things don't make sense right now, but I just want you to know, I love you. I love you. And he says, love with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. Take delight in honoring one another. You know, that's one of the things I, I, li I love about our church is, and in, in who we are part of that statement that I read earlier that's on our website is, is that we are a multi-generational and racially diverse church. Now, I know the percentages are vary at different times of seasons of life, but nonetheless, that has always been one of the premises of our foundation as a church for over 35 years, is that we will be multi-generational and we will be racially diverse. There's actually even uh, spouses here who are of different color married to one another. I don't know if you figured it out yet. <laughs> It's just different things. I know, uh, it, it happens. But the reason is, 
that I like that is because I believe that's the kingdom of God. <clears throat> I believe that is the kingdom of God. Now I know we all have racial issues at different spots of our heart. None of us are, are, are perfect at, at loving. But I think one of the things that Paul's getting at is, he, he says in verse 2, stop copying the behaviors and the customs of this world. As good as certain things are in our world, in its system, it's not the fix to the problem in the hearts of humanity. The only thing that can change a heart is the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul's reminding us as, as Christians, as the church, is, hey, it needs to be happening in here. It needs to be happening amongst yourselves. It needs to be happening in, in the way you treat each other, in the way you go about doing things. Because when the world sees that happening and the love you have for one another, it's compelling. I love seeing church members in public. I'm not one of those pastors who, who sees you and then runs. They're like, oh, dang, there's so-and-so. Get on my phone, text. Let me know when they're gone. Let me know. I'm going to hide out on aisle 8 where the beer is because I know they're not good. Well, maybe they might come over here. I don't know. <laughs> then they might run. They might not want to see me over here either. Now, I love seeing you guys in public because I like to come up to you, give you a hug right in the middle of a store. Right? Because I love you. There's just something, you, it just, it just, that's who I am. That's what Jesus has done. Now, I'm not shining a light on me. Woo-hoo. No, because I suck at this thing sometimes. I do. But I think that's how we should all be in our public world with one another as Christians. Is seeing each other, man, walking up, giving the hug, give whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Now everybody's going to be looking over the shirt. I don't know that I should go there because Pastor Jimmy <laughs> might... He might be watching. He might be showing up. No, I don't really care. Wherever you are, if I see you, then I'm going to try to get to you. Love on you. Because I want people around me to say, think, what, what's a little five foot eight, a license says 10, dude doing <laughs> with a six foot, what's your license say? Eight? A whole foot taller than me giving him a hug and him not killing me or hurting me, right? In pub, I'm serious. Can you stand up? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm talking about making a statement today. Yeah, see, I told you. How about making a statement? I want, I want, we need to be making statements, not, not, not foolish ones. No, no, stand up. Not crazy ones, not outlandish ones that, 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 just trying to get attention, but I'm talking about genuine affection. Just genuine affection. How about that? What God's Word has to say about things is just genuine affection. You know? You know, just genuine affection. Just genuine affection. And I, I, and I want to honor you as a church. The racially diverse and the multi-generational in our church... Let's keep that up. Let's keep that up. Let's keep that up. Come on, let's keep that going. Let's not let what happens in politics or social issues divide the church of Jesus Christ. But let's let that fuel us with pure, with pure love to be driven to one another and not away from one another. Amen?
So that let's show Jackson, let's show our city, let's show Madison County, let's show our community that right here in the deep south, it don't matter what color you are, it don't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your education level is, it doesn't matter what your sin level is, it doesn't matter what your secrets are. All that matters to me is that Jesus Christ lives inside of us, and if He lives inside of us, then I can't help but love you, and you love me. It's just the church being real in a real world. Showing brotherly love. Genuine affection. Amen? And he goes on, he says some other things about what God's will... That's part of God's will, is to love each other this way and to take delight in honoring each other in different ways. You know what I hate about sin? Is it ruins our lives. You know, one of the definitions of sin is it, it says it, it uh, makes you miss your mark. You see, when any one of us are stubborn and stuck in whatever sin it is, a heart issue of sin, a thought issue of sin, or physical things of sin, whatever it is, it causes us to miss our mark. Our mark that God has for each of our lives called potential. And that God knows that when you and I truly live, surrender to Him, then we're on target to hit the mark that He has for our life. But anytime we let sin come in, anytime we let whatever type of sin it is that enters our life and stays there and we don't let Jesus' blood wash us and cleanse us and forgive us and transform us and change us into a new person, then we will constantly we'll get off the trajectory course of our mark. Now, you'll, we'll still live life, we'll still go on, but the, but the further we go, the further away from our mark we will be. When I was flying, when we were flying back from uh, Phoenix back home a couple of weeks ago, that a flight cancellation, uh, actually a whole day, we were not just, it wasn't just delayed, it was canceled for the day, and we had to wait a whole other day. And when we got on the plane, we were getting ready to taxi out to the runway, and the pilot stops, and he says, hold on, got to stop, because they just changed our, our flight pattern. He said, it's going to give me a minute to update the computer, and then as soon as that updates, it'll give us a new flight pattern, and then we'll be able to take off and be on our way. And that flight pattern shows the trajectory of, the, of what that plane is supposed to do. And it'll follow that pattern, and the hope is that it'll hit its destination at the other airport safe and sound. Thankfully, it did, and I'm, we're here, praise God. But the thing about it is it had a pattern to follow. Now, if the pilot took off and did its own thing and thought, you know, I just kind of want to wander around the United States and look at some things before, then it, we'll run out of fuel, we'll, we'll be over a place where we can't land or, or, or whatever, but we won't, make, we won't hit our mark. Why? Because the pilot got off the pattern, off the course, and that's what sin does. That's why I, I hate it. And you know what? I don't hate it enough in my own life. Because I still find myself off pattern at times. And you know what happens when I'm off pattern? I'm following another pattern. That's what Paul says in 12 verse 2, the pattern of this world. And as, as, as enlightening and as fun, as, as invigorating of, of things that this world has to offer us, it's not the right pattern for our life. We're not cut out to follow that pattern. We're cut from a different cloth to follow the pattern of the kingdom of God. Amen? So he goes on, he elaborates, he says things like, hey, you need to work hard, you don't need to be lazy, you need to serve God with great enthusiasm, you need to be patient at tough times, and you need to make sure you pray. He says you need to be eager to help each other, verse 13. He says, verse 14, don't hold grudges. This is the will of God. He says, this is the will of God, don't hold grudges. Verse 15, he says, you need to celebrate with others and you need to have compassion with other people. Amen. We need to celebrate with those who are going through good times, and we need to have compassion for those who are going through hard times. 
that if you want somebody to celebrate with you when it's good, then you need to be able to weep with someone else when it's not good for them. Amen? Then he says other things, he's 16 through 20. Basically, he says, hey, don't seek revenge on other people. That's God's job. Let God be the one to take it up with them. Let God be the one to, to, to be the one who repays whatever it is. Because you know what? As much as you and I don't like injustice, I hate it. God is the one who will truly fix it. God is the one who will truly bring it around. And we have our part to play in it. Part of that being in what this whole chapter talks about. Pray and be patient in tough times. Let God's work begin to move. Let God's way of things begin to develop in our own heart, in our own life, and in situations. So don't, but don't be the one who seeks revenge. And then he finishes up verse 21. He says, hey, above all things, he says, listen, don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you. But you conquer evil by doing good. In other words, no matter what, always aim to do good. Doesn't mean everybody's going to appreciate it. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to understand it. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be on your team because you do good. But that's, Paul doesn't elaborate on any of that stuff. He says that if you want evil to be conquered, then you conquer evil by doing good. You know, one of the, the, most, the most common connections of Christianity is, is the communion table. It's one of the most common connections is this, is this communion table. I'm just going to borrow this and I'll put it back. But you know, the thing about this table is it, it draws it draws all kinds of different people together. That's what his table does regardless of backgrounds. This table, what these elements stand for and what happens at the table, it reminds us to love like Christ Jesus loves. That's what it, one of the biggest things it does. It reminds because it points back to the sacrifice and the giving of himself, Jesus. The ultimate action of love is sacrifice. So it reminds us to love. And put, the, put Matthew 26 up. The next uh, portion. This is the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. So when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table. Can you say the table? With the twelve disciples. So while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? And he replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declare long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. And it would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Mm. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Forgiveness. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with, the, with you in my Father's kingdom. And then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
want to zero in on a couple of things as we prepare to come to the table. So he sat at this table with 12 disciples, not just anybody, but disciples, those who had already made a commitment and a devotion in their heart to follow Jesus Christ. So a disciple, a lifelong follower of Christ Jesus. And he sat at this table with all these different people, 12 different types of people. This table was full of people, of different people, different professions, different personalities, and different potential, like in here today. Different people, different professions, different personalities, different potential. You know, here's the thing about these 12. I want to share some insight about these, different tw- these 12 different disciples. Andrew, who were these disciples? One of them, Andrew, the son of Jonas, a brother of Peter. Listen to this. He was a fisherman. And although circumstances placed him in a position where it would have been easy for him to become jealous and resentful, he was optimistic and he was well content to be in second place. His main purpose in life was to bring others to to the Master. And according to, to tradition, Andrew died as a martyr. Feeling unworthy to be crucified on the same shaped cross as Jesus, he begged that his be different, so he was crucified on an X shaped cross. This is one of the guys at the table. What would happen? Bartholomew was another one, son of Talmai. A number of scholars believe that he was the only one of the twelve disciples who came from royal blood or noble birth. Talmai was the king of Geshur, whose daughter, Makot, was the wife of David, the mother of Absalom. So tradition indicates that he was a great searcher of the Scripture and a scholar in law and the prophets. And he was one of the church's most adventurous missionaries. Tradition says that he preached in India and his death seems to have taken place there. He died as a martyr for the Lord. He was flayed alive with knives. This table, different people, different professions, different personalities, different potential, yet Jesus had a way of bringing them all together. James, the elder, son of Zebedee, the brother of John the Apostle, those two guys were inseparable. He was a fisherman. He preached in Jerusalem and Judea, and he was beheaded by Herod. He was a man of courage and forgiveness, a man without jealousy living in the shadow of his brother. He was the first of the twelve disciples to become a martyr. You have James the Younger, son of Alphaeus. According to tradition, he preached in Palestine and Egypt. He was crucified in Egypt. He was a strong man of character and one of the most fiery type. And the tradition tells us that he also died as a martyr and his body was sawed in pieces. These are the guys that are sitting at this table with Jesus. Different people, different personalities, different potential. John, the brother of James the Apostle, he was known as the beloved disciple. He was a fisherman. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. He was a man of action, very ambitious, a man with an explosive temper and an intolerant heart. But he mellowed with time. And at the latter part of his life, he had forgotten everything, his ambition, his temper, except the Lord's command to love. And it's said that an attempt was made on his life by giving him a chalice of poison from which God spared him. You have Judas Iscariot, the traitor. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And afterwards he hanged himself. Said that Judas was a non, excuse me, was a violent Jewish nationalist who had followed Jesus in hope through him that his nationalistic flame and dreams would actually be realized. He had ulterior motive. But no one could deny that. Judas was a covetous man, and at times he used his position as, a, as treasurer of the band to pilfer from the common purse. It's Twelve disciples. man. He's eating with these guys. He's sharing the revelation that, hey, this is my body I've broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood that I shed for you. 
Thaddeus, son of Alphaeus. It is said that he went to preach the gospel in Edessa near Euphrates River. There he healed a whole lot of people, believed, and many people believed in the name of Jesus, and he was killed with arrows. Matthew, a tax collector, wrote the gospel of Matthew that bears his name. He died a martyr in Ethiopia. Think about tax collectors in that day and time. They were hated, not on a religious grounds only, but because most of them were notoriously unjust. And in the minds of many honest Jewish people, these tax collectors were regarded as criminals. Hmm. Yet Jesus chose a man that all men hated and made him one of his men. And he could use a pen. And it was by his pen that he became the first man to present to the world in the Hebrew language an account of the teaching of Jesus. No longer taking advantage of people. See, the average man would have thought it impossible to reform Matthew, but to God all things are possible. He was a missionary of the gospel, and he laid his life down for the master. Peter, oh, we know Peter, right? Peter, fisherman, son of Jonas, brother of Andrew. He was a Galilean. Josephus described the Galileans this way. They were ever fond of innovation and by nature disposed to change and delighted in sedition. They were ever ready to follow the leader and to begin an insurrection. They were quick in temper and given to quarreling, and they were very chivalrous men. Well, Peter was typical, a typical Galilean. Peter had many faults, but he had always... He always found the saving grace of God and His loving heart. And no matter how many times that he had fallen and failed, he always recovered his courage and his integrity. You see, Peter was a martyr who died on the cross, but not just any cross. When he was about to be crucified, he asked that he be crucified head downward, for he felt unworthy to die the same way the Lord died. Twelve men, different people, different professions, different personalities, and different types of potential. Philip. Aren't you glad there's not 144 of them? <laughs> we have to order in a pizza. Philip. Tradition says he was also a fisherman who, who preached in Phrygia and died a martyr in Hierapolis. And Philip was a man with a warm heart and a pessimistic head. He was one who would very much like to do something for others, but who did not see how it could be done. <laughs> Yet he gave his all. The Lord used him. It said that he died by hanging. And while he was dying, he requested that his body not be wrapped in linen, but in papyrus. For he was not worthy that even his dead body should be treated as the body of Jesus, the way it had been treated. Simon the Zealot, not a lot in the New Testament talks about him other than we know he was a zealot. The thing about zealots were this. They were fanatical Jewish nationalists who had heroic disregard for the suffering involved in the struggle for what they regarded as the purity of their faith. The zealots were crazed with hatred for the Romans. And from this background, we see that Simon was a fanatical na nationalist, a man devoted to the law, a man with bitter hatred for anyone who dared to compromise with Rome. Yet Simon clearly emerged as a man of faith. He abandoned all his hatred for the faith that he showed toward his master and the love that he was willing to share with the rest of the disciples. Simon the Zealot, the man who once could have killed in loyalty to Israel, became the man who, who saw that God will have no forced service. And tradition says that he too died as a martyr. Then Thomas. Some of you doubted I'd get to the end. Doubting Thomas. Became certain by doubting. By nature, he was a pessimist. Doggone it, he just couldn't help it. He was a bewildered man, yet he was a man of courage. He was a man who could not believe until he had seen. He was a man of devotion and of faith, and the good news to him was always too good 
to be true. <laughs> and by this very fact, Thomas's faith became great. It was intense and it was convincing. And it is said that he was commissioned to build a palace for the king of India, and he was killed with a spear as a martyr for the Lord. Golly, 12 disciples sitting at the same table. 12 different types of people, different professions, different personalities, and different types of potential, but yet Jesus managed to get them all to sit down. One who actually betrayed him even, and he still finished the meal with him. I don't know about me. Knowing that someone would betray me, and yet I still sit there and eat with them? Mm. Knowing that <laughs> he already told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what Peter felt unworthy to die the same way as Jesus, crucified upside down for the Lord? But God became a powerhouse. His first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. My first sermon, the deacons got saved. <laughs> what's, so big, what's the big deal about this is the world can't see what's happening in here right now. But when we take the bread and, and we take the cup and it goes in us, it should remind us, I'm called to love like Jesus loved. So that when I go out there, people will see something's different in you. But church, this is where it begins. This is where change takes place. This is where destinies are decided. In the church, brothers and sisters, in Christ, we're the ones who Jesus says, go, make a difference in this world. And the love you have for one another, it'll show. And people will be compelled. You can't say no to true, authentic love. It's compelling. It's compelling. So today, as we come to the table, here's the deal I will end today.